Good morning. Um, we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 1 today, starting at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. Good morning, Sinclair. Hello, how are you? Uh, for those who have not met me, I know I met, uh, I've seen some new people this morning. My name's Matt Pamplin. I'm on staff here at St. Clair. And if you're joining us this morning, we're starting in a series. I'll just do that, maybe. Uh, we're starting in a series looking at what's it mean to follow Jesus in Hamilton in 2019, which is a really important question for us. We take the scripture, but we're really asking, how do we live out the story of God where we find ourselves? In order to do this over the next few weeks, we actually want to look at the narrative of Scripture right from the start. So this morning we're going to be looking in Genesis, but over the next few weeks we're looking at stories and characters within the Scripture who also had to figure out how do we follow God in our current context, in our current place in history. Before we dive in this morning, I have a question for you. What is your favorite instruction manual? Oh, maybe it's the N64. I put that in there, nostalgic, because of GoldenEye. Maybe it's the famous IKEA Billy Bookshelf. Oh, none of you have IKEA as your favorite instruction manual, if you're anything like me. I threw that out there as a bit of a joke, because I grew up in church with the understanding that the Bible was an instruction manual. I've said this before, my Sunday school teacher said to me, Bible stands for the best instructions before leaving earth. So much terrible theology in there, but I still thank God for my Sunday school teacher. See, instruction manuals don't start with in the beginning. And instruction manuals don't close with, behold, I am coming soon. See, we believe at St. Clair that the scripture is actually a story. And it's a story that starts with God, and we see God weaving his way through the story from beginning to end. I do want to say, and I just want to pause and say, we actually believe the story starts with God, and it ends with God. This is what it says. In the beginning, Genesis 1, right at the very start, you can't even get before this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You might say to me, Matt, that's really obvious. Let's get on to the good stuff. I want to pause there because if we're totally honest, most of the cultural stories we listen to start with humans. Because we actually have been told we are the center of the story and it's actually all about us. 
But the scripture doesn't start there. It starts with God, who before the world, when there was just a void and chaos, created. This loving triune God spoke life in the beginning. So maybe one question as our starting point this morning is, who's the main protagonist in your story? Is it actually God or is it actually you? I had a bun- the annoying thing about being a pastor is you have to prepare the sermon. You spend all week repenting and weeping because I realized for most of my life and even now I'm the main protagonist in my story. And yet God reminded me this morning that he actually is. And what we think about God and who he is at the start, the loving God who created all things, actually shapes what we think about the world and ourselves. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. See, we live out of that space, and I think that's really important. You'll get a quote central this morning. People know I love quotes. But Father Gregory Boyle says, we imitate the God we believe in. So what we think about God shapes us, and then we live out of that place. So if, if you meet a lot of bunch of angry, uh, frustrated, not full of joy Christians, that might be an indicator of what they think God is actually like. See, as followers of Jesus at St. Clair, we think the story of God shapes us, but it's actually the true story of the whole world. And we live in a world of many competing narratives. Leslie Newbigin says this, the Bible is universal history that narrates the true story of the whole world from creation to consummation. See, we believe it's telling the true story of how the world is. I think this is important because the narratives we believe actually shape our identity. And sometimes the narratives that are around us, we've actually believed to be true, but they aren't. I'll give you an example. I was at a meeting not too long ago with a bunch of pastors, which might sound the worst thing to many of you. Anyway, we're all there, and someone got up at the meeting, and they started by saying this. Now, I know you're all pastors, and I know pastoral life is so difficult and really hard, and being a pastor today is really challenging, and I just want to say we totally recognize that. For the first 10 minutes, this person was really lovely, but by the end, I thought, man, pastoring's really terrible. Who would actually want to do that? Oh no, I need to book myself in for counseling again. Um, But what's interesting is pastoral life is challenging, but what struck me was the way we said it and the way we nodded our heads made us think it is always that way. And I would say that's not actually true. Pastoral life is really difficult, but there are moments of beauty and great joy. But it seems like our world has adopted the fact that just being a pastor is going to be awful, so you might as well grind your way through it. Not in that way. Um, The other thing that I've noticed is what we've learned in church is a story that we get from Scripture is actually misunderstood in many churches we grew up in. And what I mean by that is a lot of our Bibles have actually lost four chapters of the Bible, the first two and the last two. So for many people, myself included, my Bible started in Genesis 3 and ended in Revelation 20. So that's the fall of humanity to the lake of fire. The reason that's important is I grew up thinking the goal in life was to have Jesus forgive me of my sins on the cross so I could go to heaven, which was some far off place where God was playing an amazingly big harp, when I die. Like we need to escape the world. But actually the scripture starts in Genesis 1 
and ends in Revelation 22. Someone once said it's like from the garden to a city. Mike Metzger says this, the new starting line was Genesis 3. It reminds people that they are fallen sinners. We're both made in God's image and sinners. Yet the two-chapter gospel extenuates our wounds. The four-chapter gospel elevates our worth as image bearers of God. The two-chapter story focuses on our deficiency. The four-chapter story reminds us of our dignity. So the reason we understand the story and get a bigger picture is so we can, as we said, live out the way of God in our city today. Alistair McIntyre says this, what am I, I can only answer the question, what am I to do if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself apart? So we need to understand the scripture so we can best understand how we live into the story of God today. Hannah said that Genesis starts with this loving God creating the world. And in verse 26, it says this, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. What we see from Genesis on is two threads. You may say the DNA of Scripture And they're these two theological words, covenant and kingdom. That we're in relationship with God, but it doesn't stop there as image bearers. We're actually given a job to live into the world. Other people talk about the idea of relationship and responsibility. For people who aren't intelligent like myself, I talk about being and doing And we see that thread throughout the Bible. Ephesians 2.10, Paul reminds the church in Ephesus, you are God's workmanship. The Greek there is poema, which is poetry. So you are God's piece of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. Paul there is riffing on this idea from Genesis chapter 1. And at St. Clair, we've talked a lot about identity in the last season, who we are in God, and that's deeply important. But this morning, I want to shift a little bit to talk about what we actually do and how we inhabit the world. I do want to say seeing ourselves as image bearers and others as image bearers is deeply important. Do we see the people we meet as made in the image of God? The word image in Hebrew is the same word that can be used, I think it's actually translated as idol, And an idol in the understanding in Hebrew is to bring a visible representation of an invisible being. So when God makes humans, he says, I want you to look like me and represent me to the world. And I think that's very important because often in our world, in our culture, if we just saw other people as image bearers, I think it would make a huge difference. Father Gregory Boyle again, who's a bit of a hero of mine, says this. You have the choice every day to savor the world. It's not about you. Just show up and erase people's self-messages of shame and disgrace. Just show up and erase people's self-messages of shame and disgrace. What if first and foremost we saw people as made in the image of God? So this morning, as we understand that we're image bearers, we want to talk about what that looks like to live in the world. 
Genesis 1 says God makes mankind in his image and then he gives them the language used in Genesis is to rule. Some translations say have dominion over the world in which they live. There's an interlinking between the image-bearing nature of God and how we live that in the world. And the word rule there is kingdom language. It's very uh, royal family-like. It has this kingship understanding. And in Hebrew, the word rule is radar. And one Hebrew translator says this, which I love. When someone asked him, what's it mean that God's people are to live and rule? Because that's an interesting word, particularly for people who have challenges with authority. This is what this Hebrew scholar says. The word rule means to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. Ooh, I love that. To actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. And so we have a responsibility every day as we go about our work life to live into the vision of God. In verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. I love the starting point of work in the world is a place of blessing from God. See, I truly believe what we do matters. It flows out of our image-bearing nature. We care for creation and live in the world so we can show what God is like. Many of you have jobs that take up a lot of your week. And at times, I think the church has separated our spiritual life from what we do every day. And that following Jesus is kind of an hour on a Sunday, an hour in the week. But I grew up with not really having a framework for how God is involved in the rest of my week. Dorothy Sayers says this, how can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern for nine-tenths of someone's life? What does it mean that we follow God throughout the week? And I think an important distinction here is work is pre-fall. That's very important. It's not like God says, I'm making you in my image and you can just hang out and just relax. God says, no, I'm going to give you rule and dominion. What we find in Genesis is post-fall, there's a sense of toil and hardship and hard work that can be stressful, but actually the vision of living in the world and creating something beautiful is actually pre-the fall of mankind. See, God's call on his people is to cultivate and steward creation, is to live the values of the kingdom in our world, in our workplaces. It isn't to stay hidden away in some little enclave or a small Christian community, but to go into the world and create beauty. So that means how we steward creation as well is deeply important. There's an amazing organization in our city called Arosha who actually care about God's creation. And we as Christians should care about some of these things too. Eugene Peterson says this in Colossians chapter 1 when he writes the message in terms of helping us understand what Jesus is doing in the world. He said, he was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection prayed, he's supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. All because of his death, 
his blood that poured down from the cross. So what if every day as we enter the workplace, we saw it at a place that God is at work and he longs for us to join him in what he's doing in the world? What if our work has kingdom significance because we're participating with Jesus in him reconciling all things back to himself? If you're an artist, barista, a nurse, you're in construction, if you're a stay-at-home parent, if you're in social work, if you're an entrepreneur, what if you ask this question? Do we see our work as an essential part of our discipleship to Jesus and the primary way that you can join God in his work of renewal? See, we believe at Sinclair what we do matters. As we talk about discipleship, it's not just so we can do this on a Sunday, but it's so we can live into the world and see God reclaim it. At Sinclair, we have this vision for our discipleship that goes beyond Sinclair. I want to say this morning, and I want to be really clear, the vision of Sinclair is not so Sinclair can be here in a year's time. We've got to have a way bigger vision than that, or just to get people to come here on a Sunday. Our vision is that as Jesus transforms us, we go to live into the world and join God in this beautiful creation mandate that he's given us. In our very first year that we ever existed as a church, uh, a friend was telling me a story. She was at the bus stop uh, outside the Germania Club, and she was waiting to get the bus home, and the counselor in our ward at the time showed up to catch the same bus. And he said to her, hey, where are, you, where are you coming from? And she said, I'm coming from this church. We've just started meeting in the Germania Club. And the counselor said, oh, yes, I know Matt. I've got to know him pretty well. I know what St. Clair's about. I want to ask you, not the pastor, what is St. Clair actually about and what did you learn this morning? And she said, we exist for something bigger than ourselves. The St. Clair is to make disciples, so we live in the Sherman neighborhood and in Hamilton and the world, and we actually believe God has an interest in the world and the neighborhoods in which we live. I could have kissed her. Um, <laughs> because that came back to me. The counselor phoned me and said, you will not believe I was talking to someone this morning. But that is actually our vision as a church. And I think it's rooted in Genesis. That as we unpack the story as we go over the next few weeks and months, we understand that we are created in God's image, but we do have a purpose. And so as we transition in a moment into communion, as we think about this message this morning, I have two questions that I want to ask you. Who is the main protagonist in your story? Be really honest this morning. If it's, you know what, I basically am the centerpiece of my story. That may be true, and I want to say this. If it is, and often that's been me, that's normally why I'm just anxious, fearful, exhausted, because I'm trying to do all the work that God is saying, let me do it. Maybe the second question is, when you think of work, is it something to get through, or is it a place to glorify God?